I can go ahead and take your seats. And as you take your seats, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Um, we, we like to teach from the Bible and through the Bible, and so you need your Bible. And so this morning we're continuing our series, Majoring in the Minors. We are currently in the book of the minor prophet Amos, as we're learning to walk with God. We're in Amos chapter 8. The title of the message is Too Late. And before it becomes too late, let's go before the Lord and pray and ask him to bless our study. Father, we come before you, sitting at your feet, opening up your word. Lord, I pray that your word would have the authority in our lives that you intend for it to have, that it would be the power of transformation in our life, Father God. Guard our hearts to desire your word, to hunger and thirst for your word, Father God. Lord, that we would not be content with missing your word. Life is confusing and chaotic, Father. But when we go to your word, we know it's the word of the God of the universe speaking. Without it, we'd have nowhere else to turn. And so we sit and we ask that you would speak to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. It's been said that you have all the time in the world until you don't. They call that, when time is up, they call it a deadline. Deadlines are a hard stopping point. Now, a little information about myself. I grew up being a procrastinator. And when I got into my late teens and early 20s, I became a procrastinator. And so the longer away the deadline was, the more delayed in in working and moving towards accomplishing it, um, whatever was needed by the deadline, I did miserably when it came to science projects because you were supposed to prepare for those months in advance. Um, I did terrible with research papers. Um, those you're supposed to research and prepare and, and work on a little bit at a time. And I would always wait until I was out of time. Aesop has a fable and a fable is very similar to a parable in that it is a story with a lesson in it. Now, a, a fable has a worldly message, but the uh, parables that Jesus told had a spiritual message. Aesop has a fable. It's called the ant and the grasshopper. And so the grasshopper in that story spends the entire summertime singing and lounging and just playing about while the ant is working hard to store up food for the winter. And as the grasshopper is sitting there playing, he sees the ant going by him and he says, hey, what are you doing all that work for? Don't you know it's a beautiful day outside? Why don't you take a rest? Why don't we just kick our feet up? And the ant says, I can't. I have to continue working to prepare for winter. I have to prepare. When the winter season began to approach, the grasshopper is no longer singing, no longer dancing or lounging. He's shivering because he's cold and he's starving because he's hungry. The grasshopper goes to the ant and begs food of the ant. But the ant rebukes the grasshopper saying, why don't you just go sing and dance away the winter? The point of that is you have until the deadline to do the work. You have until the deadline. When the deadline hits, winter being the deadline for the grasshopper and for the ant, and like them both, when the deadline arrives, now it is too late to do anything else. Deadlines are set so that something doesn't go on forever. If we had an event that was coming up and we left registration open for it all the way up until and beyond it, it it would be pointless. Like nobody would register on time. They would just show up at the door of. Um, if, you, if you don't have a deadline, nobody would ever finish their work. They would, they would be like, well, it's not, it's not like there's a due date. It's not like there's a hard stopping time. But in order to do proper planning, in order to be properly prepared, a deadline is needed for events and dates and whatnot. Um, we know this quite normally with uh, even our Amazon online ordering, right? If you don't order it by a certain time, and it has a countdown, and it says, if you don't order by this time, you're not getting it by this date. 
Although sometimes they, they don't get it to you by that date anyway. But they have a deadline that says for sure you won't get it. When that deadline for being able to order or, or to have it shipped in, when, and when it arrives, it's too late. There's nothing you can do. Well, Amos chapter 8 is the fourth vision that Amos is given. And as we turn to it, we see that the deadline for Israel's repentance has passed. And with it, we see a picture of what that means. Because we have to understand this. When God sets a time for when something will happen, and that time arrives, there's no going back. There's no saying, oh, but I just need five more minutes, Lord. If only I had another day, it's going to be too late. The day of the Lord is coming, it seems, or maybe it seemed like we've had or we have all the time in the world. Israel thought the same thing in their time until the time of the deadline arrived and passed and they found themselves too late. So start with me in Amos chapter 8, verse 1. It says, the Lord God showed me a basket of summer fruit. And he asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a basket of summer fruit. The Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. In that day, the temple songs will become wailing. This is the Lord God's declaration. Many dead bodies thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land. Asking, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so we may market wheat? We can reduce the measure while increasing the price and cheat with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget all their deeds. Because of this, the land, won't the land quake and all who dwell in it mourn? All of it rise like the Nile, it will surge and then subside like the Nile in Egypt. And in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome like a bitter day. Look, the days are coming, this is the declaration of the Lord God, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, roam from the north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, beautiful young women, the young men also, will faint from thirst, those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, or as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall never to rise again. So as we consider what it means to be too late, when we consider what it is for the deadline, we're left with a vision that Amos has given that Amos shares. It's a bowl of ripe fruit. Now, I don't buy a whole lot of fruit. You can ask my wife. She begs for it, and I don't buy it a whole lot of time. I try to for the kids and whatnot. But for myself, I'm picky when it comes to fruit. There is one day where I will eat a banana, and it's got to be perfectly golden yellow. If there's a spot on it, it's ruined. And now, I don't know if you guys have ever bought avocados. But avocados are that wonderful, it's a fruit, by the way, because the seed's on the inside. It, it's a wonderful fruit that you wait forever for it to ripen. And if you miss that hour where it's ripe, then it rots. It just comes that quickly. And as the Lord God has given Amos the fourth vision, he says, Amos, what do you see? Amos replies, a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord says right after that, he says, the meaning of it. He says, the end has come for my people Israel. And you're probably going, a basket of fruit means the end? How is that possible? It makes no sense to me at first glance either. And it wasn't until you study the original Hebrew language that what you find is you find that summer fruit is the Hebrew word kayetz. And the word end 
is Ketz. The end Ketz comes from the same root word as Kayetz. And so it's a play on words. The word for end comes from the same root word. The summer fruit is ripe fruit or fruit from the end of the season or fruit from the end of the year. It's ripe and it means it won't keep long. There's a fine line between ripe and rotten. And the time for summer fruit is short. And so that means the time for Israel is short, similar to an avocado. It was the end of the harvest season for the farmers. And the Lord is saying the end has come. The time is ripe for my people, Israel. And so the Lord declares that the time of sparing and the time of saving is past. He says, no longer will I spare them. So all this time they've been in this, this period of being spared by the Lord in their sin. And he says, no more. The deadline's over. And there's been many times where the prophets have spoken that word in the nation of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter seven, it says, the end is now upon you and I will send my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. I will punish you for all your detestable practices and I will not look on you with pity or spare you, but I will punish you for your ways, for your detestable practices within you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He continues on in verse six. He says, an end has come. The end has come. It's awakened against you. Look, it's coming. It's the same message that Amos is sending to Israel. Jeremiah says, the harvest is past. Summer has ended, but we have not been saved. You see, there's a harvest in which salvation is possible. But once that harvest has passed, there's no chance for salvation. And if we allow that deadline to pass without doing what God has answered, we will not be harvested and saved either. And, said, and, and God tells them, in those days, when, when that time has passed, all those songs that you sing in the temple, those songs of joy, those songs of, of um, praise and worship, they're to become songs of wailing. Your hymns of joy will become howling lamentations and dirges, funeral songs. Because you're going to have this disbelief at what the hand of God has done to you. And, and isn't it right? Like people spend their whole life rejecting God. And when they get to the end of their life and they're like, well, why has God rejected me? And, and they're like, look at what he's done to me. And it's like, well, he hasn't done that to you. You've just rejected him the whole time. The bodies, he says, the bodies will be everywhere because of the siege and, and the judgment that's coming upon you. The slaughter will not be in, there won't be enough places for burial. And then when the mourners cease their mourning long enough to seek and ask why, they're going to be met with silence. That's, that's what the Lord says here in um, verse 3. Many dead bodies thrown everywhere. And then it says silence when people are wailing and going, why God, why? It says silence. You, you knew it was coming. I told you. I told you it's coming for you. Pleadings and warnings given with striking words, seeking to awaken people. I mean, look at the words that Amos was using. He called them cows of Bashan. He says, pay attention. He wants to awaken God's people to see their deplorable state and to call them to repentance while there's time. But it came to no avail unrighteousness and injustice remain. They rejected the words and now God is saying it's too late. And all they would find is silence. The time of repentance has passed. Israel missed the deadline despite numerous warnings. But today we need to be awakened to the fact that there is a warning of the time coming when it will also be too late. The opportunity of salvation is now. If you have not made yourself right with God by coming to him on his offer, on his terms of salvation, he's provided for you. Time will run out. 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 6, 2. He says, in acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you're here and you have breath in your lungs, that means you have an opportunity for salvation. We're told that there's two ways that you will miss out on salvation. You either die in the Lord or the Lord comes back, marking the end of your time, 
or if you reject and you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And if you're sitting here wondering today, have I committed the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and it bothers you that you don't know? I want you to know that that means you haven't yet because someone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit doesn't care. See, the Holy Spirit was put into this world with his ministry to convict the world of sin and to point people to Christ. If you have no um, conviction of sin, that's when you're ignoring and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When When he points you to Christ and you say, well, who needs Christ? I don't need Christ. That's when you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And if you die in that state, the deadline is come and it's too late. The psalmist in Psalm 95, 70 says, he's our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, you'll hear it working in your heart. You'll hear his voice beckoning that you should come and that you should repent, that you should come before him before it's too late. Hebrews quotes the same thing. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. And it repeats it again in Hebrews 4, 7. He specified this speaking through David, prophesying in that psalm. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When you hear the voice of God and you say, no, God, that's hardening your heart. Soften your heart. Say, yes, God. What, what, what do I need to do, God? Show me, God. Lead me, God. Because when the deadline comes, and it's too late, that brings judgment. And here's the thing about the judgment. Judgment is just and deserved. You can't say, God, I don't deserve this. If you didn't reach out for his olive branch of salvation that he offered through the sacrifice of his son on the cross, then your judgment is deserved. Israel had the opportunity to turn and repent and come back to the covenant. God called them back multiple times. By rejecting that, they showed that their wickedness was complete through and through, and the judgment is just and deserved. In verse 4, it says, hear this. So if you notice that the first section ends with silence, and now God says, listen up. You who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land, asking, when will the new moon be over so we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may market wheat? We can reduce the measure while increasing the price and cheat with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff. People are going to find silence in their calamity. But God is making it known through Amos that this is because of their unrighteous, self-seeking actions. The people of Israel, they're not concerned about pleasing the Lord. They're consumed with filling their pockets at the expense of the defenseless. And God says, hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor. Isaiah says it even stronger terms. He says, woe. In Isaiah 10, he says, woe to those enacting crooked statutes and writing oppressive laws to keep the poor from getting a fair trial and deprive the needy among my people of justice so their widows can be their spoil and they can plunder the fatherless. And Isaiah continues on, he says, what will you do on the day of punishment when devastation comes from far away? Who will you run to for help? Where will you leave your wealth? There will be nothing to do except crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. In all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is still raised to strike. He says, if you're going to reject the one God who's in control of everything, when calamity comes, who are you going to turn to? You rejected God. What are you going to do? Look to your money. Who are you going to leave your money to? You can't take it with you. I've said this before, and I think every pastor will say it forever. There's never been a U-Haul hooked up to a hearst. You can't take it with you. So all the while, they're trampling the needy, and they're doing away with the poor. They're single-mindedly pursuing profit over people. So preoccupied they are with making money, they begrudge the things of God. They're even setting aside uh, to acknowledge and spend time with God. 
What they saw God as was an interruption to their prophet. They would come and they would pretend to acknowledge God. The whole time they're eagerly impatient, waiting to be done. Oh gosh, when is this new moon going to be over? Oh, the, the time that the Lord had set up for them to set aside and to acknowledge him every month. And then every week, the weekly Sabbath. Oh, when is this rest going to be over? It's so terrible. God's making us rest. Can you believe that we have to do nothing and make no money? They kept the, out, the observances outwardly the whole time inwardly desiring something else. Let it not be said of us as we come this, this morning, as we come on to, and we stand before God and we worship before God, let it not be with our hearts elsewhere. Let our hearts be focused on God. Because here's the thing. If the worship of God feels like an interruption to our life, we're not living for God. We're tolerating God. When we live for God, our business dealings revolve around worshiping, honoring, and pleasing God. When we're living for God, our whole life is all about God. There's no, well, God stays here and then I go to work. Or God stays here and then I go home. God is around us all the time. God is always with us. Inside, their heart is where Israel was rejecting God. While they couldn't wait until the observances were over. And inside is where we have to be the most cautious to not be rejecting God. Their rejection of God and the desire for money led them to sin. And so they reasoned and they plotted among themselves and they said, we can reduce the measure and we can increase the price. And I can't prove this, but I'm certain that there are chip companies and snack companies that only have this verse memorized on how to make more money. They're like, how do we... I know, we'll fill up the bag with mostly air and we'll raise the price on it. It's spoken openly amongst themselves about how they're cheating with dishonest scales. And it's expressly forbidden to do this as part of the covenant that God gave them when he gave them the land. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the law again. He gave them the law again as he said, I'm going to take you into the land, but this is the covenant you have to keep or I will take away the land. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy. He says, do not have differing weights in your bag, one heavy and one light. Do not have differing dry measures in your house, a larger or smaller. You must have a full and honest weight an honest dry measure so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Proverbs 20, 23. Even Solomon, the wisest guy that ever lived, wrote this down so that we could have the wisdom that differing weights are detestable to the Lord and dishonest scales are unfair. We know dishonest scales are unfair. But the fact that God has to remind us and has to put it multiple places in the Bible reminds us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And we have to constantly fight against it to continue to seek to honor God. Cheating and dishonesty and business dealings, it's not a small sin. It's not like, oh, well, that's just the way business is done. And you Nobody can ever get a good deal if they're not willing to rip someone off. You can't make any money if you don't crack a few eggs. You know, you got to say, you know what? I'm going to trust you, Lord. You can't excuse it as a sin of necessity. It can't be done away with declaring that that's just how business is done because God sees it and God will take it into account. And there's plenty of examples of God honoring businesses, or at least they began that way, that chose to honor the Lord first and to have to the astonishment of the entire business world, not only to Christians, but most Christians are like, well, yeah, you honor God and he's going to bless you. There's a certain fast food chain never has been open on Sundays, declares that they will not be open on the Lord's day, and yet they remain one of the top money-making fast food chains hand over hand, year after year. They continue to be prosperous, even though the smart people said, oh, you can't be closed on that day. You'd never last. I think God laughs every single time somebody says that. Just have no idea. These people are saying we can buy the poor with silver. Talking about buying people. 
either their, their integrity or buying whatever it is. And, and the needy for a pair of sandals, we've covered that before, that a pair of sandals was used to transfer land. So they're basically saying that we can take the land from the needy and it, not, for nothing more than a pair of sandals. And then they say we can even sell the chaff. They rip off by selling worthless things. Imagine buying a, a, a bag of wheat that's supposed to be winnowed, all the chaff blown away. It's supposed to be pure wheat ground up and given to you, but instead they grind the chaff in it. And now you're paying not only the weight of the whole bag, but you're paying for worthless weight. That's what they were doing. They were cheating. First, they use dishonest weights. Then they add worthless weight. Finding ways to skim people so that they can, the people get even less than what they paid for. It's like inflation, but the illegal kind. Micah 6.10 says, Are there still the treasures of the wickedness and the accursed short measure in the house of the wicked? Can I excuse wicked scales or bags of deceptive weights? It's a rhetorical question. The Lord won't excuse it. People wouldn't expect him to. If someone used dishonest weights against you, you'd be like, hey, that's not fair. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You have to be careful how you view your money what you do with your money. Because if you have a love for money and your desire is for money, it's a path to evil and it leads to rejecting God and finding yourself too late. It's been said that there, when, when someone was asked, when are you going to give your life to God? Well, I want to go and I want to make myself in this world first and I want to make my money first and then I'll give my life to God. And they go off and they do it. And what happens is when they get to that point, they find out their life is ending. They have no time to give to God. There's never been anyone on their deathbed who says, you know what, I wish I made more money. I wish I worked in a few extra days. And Jesus gives us this truth. He says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose who you will serve. I've heard it said this way, money is a great tool, terrible master. We have to make our money work for us, not work for our money. So the judgment is just, and God gives the prescribed judgment, and he gives it out in several points that I want to cover. Verses seven and eight, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget all their deeds. Because of this, won't the land quake and all who dwell in it mourn. All of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and then subside like the Nile in Egypt. This is the certainty of judgment. God has prescribed the judgment, but it comes with a certainty on it. The Lord swears by the pride of Jacob. And there's two thoughts behind what that means. And the first one is obvious, literal meaning, the sin of Israel's pride, where the wicked are operating unafraid and unaffected by how God feels about it. It doesn't seem to fit though. Why would the Lord swear by someone's sin? Others suggest that the pride of Jacob is a title of God. And I think that's the better interpretation to look at it. The pride of Jacob was the one to whom Jacob, the nation's forefather, looked to for strength. In fact, 1 Samuel records a similar title. In 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says, the strength of Israel. And if you notice, it's capitalized. It's the title of God. Will not lie or relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So to say that the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob means that God has sworn by himself. And with such an oath, there's nothing more sure and nothing more certain. The next phrase that God speaks is that he will never forget all their deeds. The judgment is certain because God's not going to overlook sin, nor will he forget their sin. And remember, this is spoken after 
Israel has missed their opportunity. This isn't that God is saying, I will never forget sin and there's nothing you can do about it. He's saying after that point, when you get to that point of too late, when you're over ripened, there's no more time for forgiveness. He will no longer forget. He will remember. If you repent before it's too late, God promises to remember your sins no more. But once it's too late, he says he'll never forget. It's a stark reminder that time is not an eraser of sin. Some people think, oh, well, they did that way long ago. When you talk about someone who maybe have committed a crime, been on the run, they're like, oh, they've been free for so long. It's been so long ago. They should just forget it. No, they still have to pay for the penalty for that. Time is no eraser of the sin. If enough time passes, our sin still must be dealt with. God will deal with sin. He either deals with your sin at the cross or he'll deal with your sin at the judgment. Time cannot atone for sin. Only the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross atones for sin before it's too late. Amos chapter eight, verse seven is similar to another uh, verse in Hebrews 6, 10. See if I have the verse up there. I don't. Hebrews 6, 10 says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated by his name, by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them does not forget the good works of his people. If you have come to Christ, God will not forget your good works. He will remember those. But likewise, if you have not Christ in your life, he will never forget your sin either. He will never forget the evil works of those who reject his salvation. The question then posed because of this, it's a cause and effect God won't forget, because God won't forget, the land is necessarily going to quake. The judgment is coming. Everything will be uprooted. Everything will be in it. It says both will happen. It's certain those who dwell in the land will also mourn when the land quakes. All of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and it will subside. That's all certainty. In verse 9, Amos continues on. He says, in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome like a bitter day. What God is describing here is the extent of judgment. The Lord talks about what he will do in that day, that day of judgment. He says, I'll make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I'll turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. When that day comes, those who are not prepared for the Lord to be coming are going to be struck with fear. A great fear that says, oh no, it's too late. There will no longer be any joy. It's not going to be like, oh, look, the Lord is here. I'm so happy he's here to judge me. They're going to say, oh, no, I've made a great error. She says, I'll cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head shaved. That was an attitude of mourning, an attitude of repentance. But it'll be like Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 7:18. they'll put on sackcloth. Horror will overwhelm them. Shame will cover their faces and all their heads will be bald. But it'll still be too late. When God has that deadline come in, there's no more opportunity. He says, right now, repent while, the, while it's open to you. But one day that door will be closed and no one can open it. He says, I will make the grief like the morning for an only son. And what that does right there is that makes a direct connection to Zechariah's prophecy, which points to Israel's humble return to the Messiah in the last days. I do want you to know that the Lord always points, even though it looks like Israel's cut off now, he hasn't cut off Israel forever. 
He is sending Jesus back to be the Messiah for Israel so that Israel can accept their Messiah. This generation, it's too late. That generation in the future so God can fulfill his prophecies and his plans and his promises. Zechariah 12.10 says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem and they will look on me whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. This judgment will extend to all. But the restoration in that day, if you look and you read in Romans 11, that restoration will extend to all who return as well. And then finally, in the last four verses, Amos says, look, the days are coming. And this is the declaration of the Lord God. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful young women and the young men also will faint from thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, or as the way of Beersheba lives, they'll fall, never to rise again. In his judgment, God promises that he's sending a famine. The Lord declares the days are coming when he will send a famine through the land. But this isn't a famine like any other famine. It's not a famine, even though it goes through the whole land, it, it, it's not going to affect the bread. It's not going to create a thirst for water. The prophet Micah speaks of the same famine. She says, therefore, it will be night for you without visions. It will grow dark for you without divination. The sun will set on these prophets and the daylight will turn black over them. Then the seers will be ashamed and the diviners disappointed. They will all cover their mouths because there will be no answer from God. There's a period in Israel's history where there was silence from the Lord for 400 years. That page between the end of Micah or, or Malachi and Matthew, that blank page in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, I would write on that 400 years without a single word from God. Most people think the worst famine would be a famine of bread. But the, through Amos and through the judgment pronounced, we see that that's not the case. The most severe famine is that of not hearing the words of the Lord. The agony in life is most unbearable. We can all agree to that, right? Life is hard. Couple that with God's awful silence. Like Micah pronounced, in your troubles, in your tragedies, in your problems, in your despair, there will be no answer from God. But notice carefully the nature of this famine. It's not from a lack of having God's word. It's a famine of hearing God's word. I like what G. Campbell Morgan had to say about it. The condition described is that of being deaf to the words of Jehovah, not able to hear them. It's not a case of God withholding his revelation, but of people being in such a state that they do not see it and they do not hear the words. There can be a famine of the word obviously through neglect and unfaithfulness. If we, if we don't have God's word, if we choose not to go and listen to God's word, or if we choose to ignore that there is God's word. But what Amos is bringing out is that the problem is with the hearer being unwilling to hear. We're told the same famine's gonna happen again in the last days so that we know that that time is coming before it's too late. It says in those days, they will not endure sound doctrine. 
Instead, they will lift up for themselves teachers to tickle their ears, teaching them what they want to hear, not the uncomfortable truths that you have to repent, not the uncomfortable truths that God is not happy with the way that we choose to live our lives apart from him. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians gives us the correct way that we need to hear the word of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, this is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. It's true what Jesus says. In Matthew 4, 4, he says, it's written, man must not live on bread alone. Don't fear the famine of bread. Fear the famine of the word of the Lord because we live off of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Famine of hearing God's word is truly the worst case famine. And God describes what's going to happen. He says, people will stagger all over. They will go in every direction from sea to sea. They will go from the north to the east. They will travel in every direction seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Men will stagger and young women will faint. It's saying that even in their youth, they will search long enough that they will run out of energy. They won't They won't find it. They're seeking a word. They're seeking a word of hope. They're seeking an explanation. They're seeking forgiveness. But when it's too late, they won't find it. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God and he will freely forgive. It's the importance of hearing the word of the Lord today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Again, we go back to the Psalm, the Psalm of David. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice. To push God's word away for enough time, we're going to find one day we can't find it even if we wanted to. The ability to hear God's word and benefit from God's word, understand this, it's a work and gift of God. And Jesus touched this principle in the parable of the soils and the sower. Mark 4, 24. Jesus says, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be used against you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, has to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. When we push God away, it becomes more difficult to hear and to receive his word. Psalm 74, 9, there are no signs for us to see. There is no longer a prophet. And none of us knows how long this will last. That is the attitude of Israel in that blank page. None of us knows how long this will last. You can still see them wailing at the Western Wall, seeking the presence of God. For Israel, it's too late. No word would come. Not until that day when the Lord comes back again to raise up his people and to set up his kingdom. I mean, right now they can, through the work of the Holy Spirit, individually, they can turn and they can accept Christ and they can come to Christ and find salvation. But as a nation... They've been cut off until that time. And we can already see the handprint of the Lord working to bring the nation back together and so that the nation can once again be given the opportunity that they can receive their Messiah. But here's the truth. I'm going to tell you there are some things that God cannot do. 
And don't stone me for blasphemy or anything. God cannot show mercy to those who reject his mercy. He cannot save those who will not be saved. And he also cannot withhold his judgment from those who defiantly call down that judgment upon themselves. Galatians 6, God says, he will not be mocked. That which you reap, you will also sow. If you reap to the flesh, you will sow destruction. You reap to the, to the spirit and you will reap life. As we read earlier in Amos of Yahweh's repeated efforts to call Israel back to himself, he's punished her again and again and again to bring her to her senses, but no avail. And now the point of no return has been passed. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning as we sit here, do we hunger and thirst for God's word? What sort of thirst do you have for God's word? Here's a quick test. If it were illegal today to read your Bible from Monday to Saturday, at the end of the week, would you be arrested? Would you have enough evidence to be convicted? When you go away on holidays and vacations and stuff, do you read God's word? Here's another one. What cost are you prepared to bear to own and read your own Bible. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and as I talk about hearing the word of the Lord, you're saying, I don't hear from the Lord. And you're maybe wondering why you're not hearing from the Lord. Maybe you've turned away from the Lord, and you're l- looking and, and you're getting all your wisdom and everything from everything else. The books that you read, the questionable entertainment that you provide for yourself, maybe you're seeking money over everything else, seeking money even over God. Like Jesus said in the parable of the the sower and the soils, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for material things will choke the word out. And when you experience the famine of hearing God's word, take it as a sign, a signal that something is amiss. Many starve when food is available. And that's no different. There's not a famine of the word of God in America. We have the word of God in America broadcast on radio nationwide. We have it going throughout the internet worldwide. We have it on YouTube. We, we, we stream on YouTube. We stream on Facebook. There's the word of God available in bookstores everywhere. You can go to Walmart and get the word of God. There's TV ministries that are on. There's churches on just about every corner. The difficulty is the willingness to hear. That's the famine going on in America and worldwide. And here's why we're unwilling to hear the word of the Lord. We fear what the Lord has to say. He's going to make me change. He's going to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. So I don't want to hear it. If I don't hear it, I don't have to obey it, right? Maybe the Lord, we're we're afraid that the Lord is going to, I'm going to read something and all of a sudden I'm going to be a missionary in Africa or the Middle East, or maybe he's just going to call me to a different position at work or a different focus in life. Maybe he's going to call us to be a one-income family. Maybe he's going to call us to whatever it is. We're afraid of that greater commitment that he's calling for us to live righteously for him. Or maybe we're also not ready to do what his word tells us. Love demands that we do to forgive others of their trespasses against us. Even if they do it over and over and over again, up to 490 times. It's hyperbole, by the way. Don't count to 490. That love covers a multitude of sin. That love endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things. Don't ignore the word of the Lord because you don't like it. Because one day it's going to be too late to even receive it. And God is speaking now to people again through Jesus. 
In fact, we read that in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter one, it says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, understand that, that means it's soon gonna be too late. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And God has appointed him heir over all things and made the universe through him. So you're not going to some second-rate person as a mediator. You're going to the mediator between God and man, the only one that there is, the one who created all things, the one who holds all things, the one who in all things, everything subsists. And here's what Jesus has stood and declared. I am the bread of life. It says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. If you are here this morning and you are experiencing a famine of the word, you need to come to Jesus. You may have given your life to Jesus and had all your sins forgiven, but maybe you've rejected, maybe you've turned away, you haven't been following it and God is calling you. Listen while you can hear his word because there is also things worse. Maybe you make it into heaven, but when you get to heaven and you stand before Christ at the Bema seat, everything that you've done in the name of Christ is burned away and you're left with nothing. It says of that person that they still enter into glory, but as though they've been burned by fire, just barely surviving. I don't know about you, but on that day in which either Christ comes or I'm called home, I want to hear that statement. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so if he's calling you here this morning, you're gonna have an opportunity. The worship team's gonna come and and do this last song. And I I wanna invite you during this song, if that's you, come forward, ask for prayer. If, If you're nervous about coming forward, it's okay, pray in your seat. But I would say don't leave here today refusing to hear God's word and answer to what he's calling you to. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as, as, as you spoke in your word to us this morning, Lord, I pray that your spirit would now work in our hearts. Father, that you would continue to call to us. And Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, giving us strength to answer that call, strength to hear that word and obey that word, Father God. Any who ha- are hearing that they have not even come to Christ, Lord, I also pray that they would come. And Lord, um, that I, I thank you that you made it something simple. Jesus said, believe in me and my name and you'll have eternal life. It's as simple as coming to Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, I believe. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me. Save me. Help me to live righteously in your name. We thank you, Father, and it's in Jesus' name that we lift up these prayers. Amen.